So John chapter 13, why don't we pray as we start and then we'll um, get going on the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help this afternoon. Please, um, we pray that by your spirit you would enable us. We pray that the technology would all work. We pray that you would please equip us um, and that we would know your help this afternoon. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. We're going to read John chapter 13. Last week we saw the beautiful um, moment when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Um, but here's what happens next. Let me read it um, for you. So it says this. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those whom I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his, this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him, since Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he'd gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify himself at once. These are God's words to us this afternoon, and I've just been asked if I can record it. So let me press record. Recording in progress. I don't know if you heard that. Apologies if you did. Anyway, um, we're going to have a look at these words together. And what, what I want us to see is the combination of these two events right next to each other. So you have the humility, the sacrifice, the cost, the sheer beauty of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We saw that last week and it is stunningly beautiful. But right next to that beauty is then placed this horrific prediction of the betrayal, the arrogance, the pride and the pain that Jesus knows is coming. And these two moments at this meal are deliberately placed next to each other. The contrast is supposed to make us notice something. It's a passage that is dripping with emotion. These aren't just words on a page that we're supposed to study and analyse. These are spiritual realities for us to engage with and for us to experience something of that emotion this afternoon. You see, we need history as it truly is. We need the account of Jesus as it truly is. We don't just want to cherry pick the lovely bits that tell us, oh, Jesus loves us. We also need the bits that are harder to hear, the bits that are more challenging. 
You see, we might like to focus on the stories that make us feel good, but Jesus didn't come into a make-believe world of sunshine and laughter. He came into a world of brutal pain and betrayal. That's who Jesus is. And the reality is that his love shines all the more brightly when you contrast it with the darkness of human wickedness. So we're not going to airbrush it this afternoon. And here's the big thing that's going on in these chapters. We're working our way through John chapters 13 to 17 um, this term. And Jesus is about to leave the world. And so as he's about to leave, he's preparing his disciples for what's about to happen. The start of John 13 tells us that Jesus, the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. That's the agenda, okay? Jesus, he's finished his work on earth. He's going to die on a cross, rise again and return to his Father. That's what's going on. That means his disciples are going to be left behind. And Jesus has this one evening to prepare his disciples for his departure. He has this one mealtime. All of these chapters, they all take place in one evening at one mealtime because Jesus has things he desperately needs his disciples to understand before he leaves the world. So you can see why these chapters are of such importance to the disciples then and of such importance to us. How are we supposed to live in this world? And there's one overarching theme we're going to see again and again over the coming weeks. There's one reality that really holds this chapter together. And it's this idea that Jesus is not going to leave his disciples on their own. He's not going to abandon them. Yes, he's leaving the world, but he's not leaving them. They will be never alone. That's what we've called this uh, sermon series. He's not abandoning them. His love remains. He loves them to the end. So we're going to see that overarching theme worked out in the coming weeks. But for today, there's something painful. Jesus prepares his disciples for betrayal. Now, it doesn't get any more painful than betrayal, right? It's one of the hardest things to experience as a human being. And you see it in classic literature. It's a big theme. So, you know, Caesar, Julius Caesar being betrayed by Brutus. You know the famous line, et tu Brute. Uh, And you, Brutus, uh, you, you're going to betray me? And if that's a bit highbrow for you, then what about Frozen? Prince Hans, who seems so wonderful and so perfect and so in love with Anna all along was a criminal, all along was a villain, all along was a betrayer. Sorry if you haven't seen Frozen and I've spoiled it for you, but you've had your time to see it. And now Jesus prepares his disciples and says, one of you, one of the twelve, one of this close band of brothers having dinner together, one of you will turn out to be a betrayer. Jesus knows it completely. And he wants to make sure his disciples are ready to experience it. There are two big things we're going to see as we work our way through this passage. You see, I don't think this passage is primarily here to say, don't be like Judas. 
It definitely has that warning to it. But I think it has more of a sense of Jesus preparing his disciples for what they're about to experience. And here are his two big lessons. The first one is, don't lose your nerve. Because it can be profoundly disturbing to find that someone we trusted, someone we loved, someone we looked up to, someone we shared life with, turns out to be something that we never knew. That can shake our faith. That can leave us feeling rocked. And that's what the disciples are about to experience. They're about to experience one of their closest friends betraying them. And so Jesus wants to get them ready and says, when it happens, don't lose your nerve. You see, Jesus already knows this is going to happen. Let's get into the text. Let's work our way through the, the, the story and let's just see what's going on. Jesus knows And so in verse 18, he starts by saying, I'm not referring to all of you. That is, he's just been talking about how his disciples are clean, that he came to make them clean, to die on a cross, to clean them from their sin. But then he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those whom I have chosen. What Jesus is saying is, I I know you. I know each of you 12 disciples. And Jesus has known right from the beginning that one of them is a betrayer. I don't think this, I have chosen you. I don't think that's talking so much about um, eternal election. I think that's Jesus saying, I chose you 12 and I know you 12. I know who you are. But back in John chapter 2, you get this interesting statement at the end of the chapter where, where John says Jesus knew what was in a person. You see, Jesus, as the eternal son of God, is able to look into the human heart and to see what is truly there. I can't do that. I don't have that insight. I cannot see into your heart, but Jesus can. Jesus is not fooled by anyone. Jesus is not surprised. Jesus is never conned or bewitched or beguiled. Jesus knows. He knows each of the 12 that he's chosen and he knows one of them is a betrayer. And it isn't just that he knows them. He also knows that betrayal will happen because that's the pattern of scripture. Jesus is walking a road that's been walked before. So Jesus isn't surprised at the fact that he faces betrayal because it's there in scripture. His great, great, lots of greats grandfather, King David, has walked this road before him. And so Jesus quotes a psalm that David wrote about a time when David was betrayed. He's almost certainly referring to when his son Absalom, David's own son Absalom, conspired against him. And then one of David's closest friends, Ahithophel, joined Absalom in his betrayal. And together they conspired against David. His closest friends conspired against him. And David writes this psalm and he says, He who shared my bread has turned against me. Do you feel the pain? Do you hear the pain? You shared my bread and you've turned against me. That's the pattern of scripture. In the footnote it says he's lifted up his heel. 
um, in, in the Bible, the kind of showing the bottom of your feet to someone was like an insult, like sticking your middle finger up at them. It was that sort of insult. And, and David is saying, you shared my bread and now you would betray me, insult me, reject me. It, it's interesting, I think there's a clue actually in John's narrative that he really is thinking of this parallel between the betrayal of David and the betrayal of Jesus. You see, when David was betrayed by Absalom and Ahithophel, he had to flee from Jerusalem. And, and this is what it says um, in 2 Samuel 15. It says, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. So here is David leaving Jerusalem, betrayed by his closest, leaving Jerusalem. He crosses the Kidron Valley and goes out into the wilderness. And you may say, well, why, that? why is that so interesting? Well, three chapters later in John's gospel, look at these words. This is what it says about Jesus. When he'd finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Do, do you see the parallel? Do you, do you see Jesus is literally walking the same road that King David walked before him. The road of betrayal, the road of sorrow, crossing the Kidron Valley and away. And so Jesus is prepared for what will happen to him because he's read his Bible. He doesn't lose his nerve. He doesn't panic. He doesn't say, oh, Judas, how could you do this? He knows. He knows what's in Judas and he knows the pattern of scripture. And now he's preparing his disciples and saying to them, you have to be ready. That's what he says in verse 19. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. You see, Jesus is concerned that when Judas betrays him, his disciples will freak, will panic, will lose their nerve and will desert him. And so he wants to say to them, hold your nerve. This is the pattern. This is what happens. Don't panic. He says, I want you to keep believing that I am who I am. Again, there's just a subtle reference there to the name of God, Yahweh. I am who I am. Jesus says, that's me. I am that God, the covenant God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Exodus, the God of Moses, the God of the Bible. I am who I am. Keep believing. Hold your nerve. Don't abandon me. And of course, that's John's big theme. We've seen that over and over again. These things are written so that you would believe. And so Jesus prepares his disciples so that they would believe. Even when others would betray him. Believe. And then he says in verse 20, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. See, it's really interesting. He immediately reminds his disciples, you have a job to do. I'm sending you. 
You, don't lose your nerve. Don't forget the mission. I am who I am. Jesus says, I am God and I have a mission for you. And so here is the pattern. The Father has sent the Son into the world, sent to save the world, sent to be the rescuer, the Messiah, the King, the one who dies on a cross and rises again. The Father sends the Son and then the Son sends his disciples to come carry on this work he's leaving but he sends his disciples and he says the mission continues just because Judas has betrayed me it doesn't change anything the mission hasn't changed hold your nerve there's work to be done and when you experience betrayal the plan is not falling apart you know I think it is really important that we have this realistic expectation that we let Jesus teach us You see, the reality is that we may well face betrayal. We will see those that we love, those perhaps who we've served with, those who we've walked alongside, we will see people turn away from Jesus, walk away. And surely, if you've ever experienced that, you know that 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 rocks your faith, right? It questions that perhaps I'm wrong. Is Jesus really the great I am? Is Jesus really the son of God, the light of the world? Am I stupid? Have I I been deceived? And it rocks our faith. And so Jesus prepares us. Here's a few ways that we might experience this. Let me try and make this practical. I guess one of the hardest experiences that we might face is to have a friend or perhaps a family member. If you're a parent, perhaps to have a child who turns their back on Jesus. I mean, some of us are experiencing that right now. That's a reality for us. And many of us one day might be parents and we may face that pain ourselves. Either we're experiencing now or we will. Jesus is preparing us. And I think what happens when someone wanders away from Jesus, when they turn their back, do you know, I think we can begin to question. We begin to think, did I do it wrong? Did I not love them enough? Did I not teach them well enough? Did I not disciple them? Was I not a good enough model for them to follow? And we can begin to question and we can begin to really doubt ourselves. Okay, listen to me. Judas was with Jesus for three years. Was the teaching that Judas received not good enough? Was the discipleship that Judas received from the very lips of Jesus, was that not good enough? Was the model that Judas saw in the perfect life of Jesus, was was there something lacking in that? Of course not. You see, here's the reality. You can have the best teaching and the best discipleship and the best model and still walk away from him. That we can beat ourselves up. We can blame ourselves and we can lose our nerve and we can carry a massive burden of guilt. But Jesus tells us in advance that sometimes people walk away. Sometimes people betray. I think in other ways we might experience this is sometimes if a leader that we've looked up to, a leader that we've learned from, 
a leader perhaps who invested in us, a leader who discipled us, someone we've respected and followed. And then one day it all unravels and you discover that that person was never what you thought they were. Everything that seemed to be true was actually fake. Do you know, that could be a devastating experience. It can seriously undermine people's faith and confidence. And Jesus tells us in advance, he says, hold your nerve. Even if that happens, hold your nerve. You see, here's the thing. Don't put your hope ultimately in human leaders. Human leaders who are frail and get things wrong. Instead, put your hope in Jesus, only in Jesus. Only he is the one who will never let you down. God is not surprised by human betrayal. And I don't think we should be either. When it happens, hold your nerve. It's the pattern. But there is something more here and we need to push on into our second thing. You see, Jesus doesn't just say, don't lose your nerve. He also, I think, is showing his disciples, don't lose your compassion. You see, in the face of betrayal, it would be easy to become bitter. And it would be easy to become seething with rage and self-righteousness and a desire to get revenge. I think Jesus is extraordinary. Look at verse 21. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Look at the emotion in Jesus. He is troubled in spirit. He is deeply moved at an emotional level. Yes, Jesus has chosen Judas. Yes, Jesus knows that Judas will betray him, but it still causes him immense pain and grief in his heart. You know, there's a window right there into the heart of Jesus. You want to know know what Jesus' heart is like? It's that. Sheer compassion. Jesus has known for three years that Judas would betray him. Jesus has invested in Judas. Jesus has entrusted work to Judas. Jesus has equipped him and empowered him. Judas has preached the gospel. Judas has driven out demons. Judas has healed the sick. Judas has been used by Jesus. Jesus has poured into his life and all the time Jesus knew that Judas ultimately would betray him. Can you imagine the constant sadness that Jesus must have carried all the while knowing the truth and reality of who Judas was. Or can you imagine what must have been going through Jesus' mind when he knelt down at the feet of Judas to wash his feet? How do you do that? How do you do that with such compassion when everything in me would just want to rage? would just want to lash out, would want to stick the knife and would want to see that him. But not in Jesus. All you sense from Jesus towards Judas is overwhelming love. He just keeps loving him. Overflowing compassion. 
not a hint of malice or rage. And Jesus spells it out for his disciples. He says, one of you is going to betray me. It couldn't be more clear, right? One of you is going to betray me. And then it says in verse 22 that they start staring at one another and they're at a loss to know what he means. I mean, what an awkward moment that must have been looking around the room. This is important. It's not like the disciples suddenly all stare at Judas and go, well, it must be you. Judas is not an obvious betrayer. I think we have such a caricature of Judas and, and, and his name has become so synonymous with betrayal that we sort of assume, well, of course, everyone would have known it was be. They didn't have a clue it was going to be Judas. They didn't know. They couldn't imagine any of them. How could any of us do that? It doesn't seem obvious to them at all. And then we get this slightly odd little scene where one of them, that's the one, he calls himself the one who Jesus loved. That's John talking about himself. It's not an arrogant thing. It's just a, it's a phrase that John says, he loved me. I don't think he means he loved me more than anyone else. He just means, wow, he loved me. And so John uses this phrase to talk about himself. And he says that John was next to Jesus at the meal. They're reclining at the table, as would have been the custom. And then Peter, who's obviously somewhere else, the other side of the table, kind of motions to John and says, ask him who it is. Who is it? And so John leans over to Jesus and says, okay, well, who is it? And I think that's a private conversation now. I don't think the rest of the disciples hear it. Otherwise, their reaction makes no sense in the moment. But John asks. And then Jesus gives this response. Verse 26, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. What an odd thing. Why doesn't he just go, it's Judas. Why doesn't he point at him? Why the dipping bread? Well, certainly it's fulfilling Psalm 41, the one who shared my bread. But there's more going on here, even more. And you'll get another glimpse of the sheer compassion of Jesus. Do you know Adam Meal? When the host has dipped the first piece of bread into the bowl, the bowl of fruit and um, like paste of figs and raisins and stuff, they dip the bread in and it's the best piece. And that the host would give that to the guest of honour as a mark of respect and love and honour. And Jesus gives it to Judas. Doesn't that blow your mind? Even now, even at this point, still all that comes out of Jesus is overflowing compassion towards Judas. It is one final act of love, one final moment of Jesus reaching out to Judas. Judas, my precious Judas, take this breath. It's very moving. That is the compassion of Jesus. Do you not think that Jesus could have spat on Judas or called 12 legions of angels to come and destroy Judas or said to the other 11, hey, look, it's him. Kill him. But no, Jesus just loves and loves and loves and loves. 
But the tragedy is that Judas, even at this point, rejects that overwhelming love. And so he, we're told in verse 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. It's the final moment. And we just need to stop for a second and go, whoa, 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 hang on a second. What on earth is going on there? Can Satan just enter into people? Does Satan have that power that he can just go, oh, I'll enter here? No. No, he really doesn't. I mean, that would be terrifying that at any moment Satan could enter someone and just take control. But no, he can't. You see, Satan is limited in his power. Satan is a created being. He's not like God. He doesn't have the power of God. He is terrifying and he has some authority, but only that which God has given him. You see, to understand what's happening in verse 27, when Satan enters Judas, you have to go right back. You see, this is the end of a long road for Judas. Back in chapter 6 of John's Gospel, we're told that Judas never believed in Jesus. Jesus said to his, dis his disciples, I know that one of you doesn't believe. Jesus has taught Judas. He's heard all of the gracious words of Jesus, but they're not drawing out faith from Judas's heart. Judas doesn't believe. He doesn't trust. He doesn't adore Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't believe in him. But he keeps it quiet. He pretends to. He puts on an act. He wears a mask. He hides what's true. And he kept on going with this act. I mean, there was some advantage to being with Jesus. Jesus had some power. Jesus had a bit of a following. It looked like there could be something in this for Judas. And so Judas is there for the ride, but he never believed. And by chapter 12, we discover that something else has gripped Judas's heart. When Jesus is anointed with expensive perfume, Judas pretends to be outraged. Oh, this could have been sold and given to the poor. But actually, he just wanted the money for himself. He seems to have got the position of being the treasurer, the, the one who handles the finances, and he's helping himself to the money that's been given to the mission of Jesus. And so in Judas's heart is this love of money, this failure to believe in Jesus and this love, this stealing, this theft of money. And Judas is hiding it and he's unrepentant. And so he's opened the door for Satan to get a foothold. And by the start of chapter 13, in verse 2, we're told that the devil has prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So now Judas has opened himself up to Satan influencing him and prompting him, pushing him along the road. Satan loves to do that. If he sees our hearts begin to open up to sin, Satan is more than happy to push us along, to prompt us along until eventually it becomes full on. Judas has stepped completely away from Jesus. He rejects the final act of love, this final offer of bread. And now Satan takes possession. Satan is in control. There is a spiritual battle that rages. Satan is not a joke figure. He's real 
and he's working to keep people from loving Jesus. So this one final act of love, this beautiful compassion, it doesn't melt Judas's heart. And now the stage is set. The disciples don't get it at all. Jesus says to him, what you're about to do, do quickly. Jesus says, if you're going to walk that road, Judas, then get on with it. The disciples don't understand. They think he's talking about getting some more money for food or giving money to the poor. And then you get this chilling phrase, verse 30. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Judas is completely responsible for what he's done. Now, in one sense, you might say, yes, Jesus always knew that this was the story. It was always the plan of God. And yet at every single stage, Judas is responsible. And even in this moment, as Jesus holds out the bread to him, Judas takes the bread and walks off into the night. And the tragedy is that Judas never sees another light of day. Judas walks not simply into the physical night, but into the eternal night, into the eternal darkness of hell. And he chose to walk that way. And so what about us? Well, I want you to know that Jesus' heart is always full of compassion towards you. There are seeds of betrayal in every single one of our hearts. There are certainly seeds of betrayal in mine. There are seeds of betrayal in Peter's heart. We'll see that next week. Maybe some of us listening to this, we know that we're pretending. We know that we've got sin that we're hiding, things that no one knows about. We're putting on an act. We're pretending to be someone that we're not. Well, listen, I beg of you. Jesus holds out bread to you today and says, I love you. I love you. Take this bread and return to me. Believe in me. Jesus came to die on a cross to pay for your secret sin, to wash you clean. Do not follow Judas out the door into everlasting night. Instead, run to Jesus, the light of the world. Come and live in eternal day. I plead with you, do not reject his love. And for some of us, that is where we are today. Don't walk out. Come to Jesus. And let's also remember that we're called to share that same compassion that Jesus has. Let the sheer compassion of Jesus as he floods our souls with compassion, let it overflow then to others. Do you know, I think we can be so judgmental. I know that I can, that when someone wrongs me, a bitterness grows in my heart and it takes root and I hold it against them and I resent them and I hold grudges. Or when someone fails, a a, a leader fails, isn't there sometimes a sense that we sort of take a bit of pleasure in someone else's failure? You know, there's articles and podcasts and and stuff and we all talk about it and we want to understand and we... And sometimes it can be helpful, but often, you know what, often there's no compassion in it. Where's the compassion? Jesus, so overflowing with compassion for Judas, even at this point, where's our compassion for those who are walking away? 
I said, listen, if you have a friend, if you have a family member, a child, a brother, a mom, a dad, a, whoever it might be, if you have someone in your life who's walking away from Jesus, don't lose your compassion. Overwhelm them with love. Love them and love them and love them. That's what Jesus did to Judas. And even as you love them, pray that God would bring them back. That's what he's done for countless thousands of others. Let's not lose our nerve. Let's not lose our compassion. But let's hold on to Jesus. I think Jesus is extraordinary. I think his love here is remarkable. And we need to hear the warning. But we also need to see the compassion. And as we close, let me just say, if you're sitting there feeling, what if I'm walking away from Jesus? What if I'm a betrayer? What if, what if I'm not genuine? Let me tell you, you almost certainly are <laughs> genuine. Because betrayers don't think like that. Betrayers walk out into the night. So let your concerns drive you to Jesus. And he'll comfort you and assure you. We're going to pray and, um, and then we're going to share communion as a way to respond. But let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that we have a king who is so compassionate. Thank you, Father, that Jesus was willing to walk that road of betrayal. To walk that road of pain for us. And Father, we thank you so much that he overflows compassion. Even in that moment of betrayal and lord we pray that you'd help us to hold our nerve lord many of us feel so grieved for those that we love who are walking away from you at the moment and lord we pray that you in your grace would overwhelm them with your compassion and bring them back lord please bring them back and we pray that you'd guard our hearts lord please keep us help us not to lose our nerve help us not to lose our compassion and we ask it in jesus name Amen. Um.